Thank you so much for being here tonight. Just excited for man night. Um, you know, God made you a man on purpose. And he has a reason that he did that. And I'm just really excited uh, for my cousin, me and Levi's cousin, Derek Mack, to be speaking tonight. He's going to be talking a little bit about what it means to be a man of God. And uh, this is just an important topic. So I just hope that you guys will take a lot of notes tonight. But also, would you guys lean in? Would you not just listen, but would you be a brotherhood tonight? Would we be uh, soldiers getting our, 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 you know, our marching orders tonight on how to live this life as a man of God? And so I just want to encourage you, as, as Derek is preaching, you know, if anything sticks out to you or anything encourages you, let's, let's let each other know. Let's say amen. That's good. Come on. Preach, right? You know how we do it here at CS Students. So let's make sure that we do that. Um, and just encourage Derek, but just a little bit. I just respect my cousin Derek so much. I just love you, Derek. I'm so thankful for you. Derek is uh, an amazing leader and uh, a missionary with an organization called Circuit Riders, and uh, he's a missionary, and he's laying his life down for Jesus and for the gospel, and uh, I have so much to learn from Derek, and I know that we all do in this room tonight, so will you guys help me welcome Derek Mack? Come on up, Derek. Come on up, Derek. Love you, bro. Bring it. Don't hold back. Did you guys know that his doppelganger is Tim Tebow? Honestly, you have Tim Tebow as your pastor. That's exciting. Um, Levi and I look more alike, though. He's definitely more handsome. Shout out to you. Um, be, uh, I won't be quick tonight, but I, but I want you guys to be able to respond and pray tonight with some leaders here. That, that's oftentimes in a moment like this is much more important than, than what is said, but how you react to it and, and what you do with it. Um, I don't like going and doing Christian gatherings. We, these are my friends over here, Caleb and McGarren. Uh, they work with me. We specifically are starting a campaign called Men Who Lead uh, for university students, specifically men. And for me, it's the, one of the biggest issues of our day is what is masculinity and what is biblical masculinity, and how do we enter into it? And, but, you come to a lot of Christian gatherings, you hear stuff, you go, yay, and then we leave. And then we're not changed. That is not biblical, nor is it scriptural. Uh, it's not, it's, when you read the Bible, you don't see people encountering a message from God going, that's so good, God. That's amazing. And then living exactly the same afterwards. They're confronted with the reality. How many of you know, how old were the disciples, who were men, the, the apostles, how old were they when they were called? Does anybody know? They're teenagers. So, so imagine that. Imagine an obscure religious teacher walks into your high school. I know this is not going to happen. Just, just bear with me. I understand all the rules and regulations about people walking into your high school. I get it. Just this analogy. An obscure religious teacher walks into your high school, walks, walks into your junior high, and says, Hey, men of this classroom, I'm God in the flesh. Um, and he points at you directly, and he calls you by your name and says, You want to be a fisherman? You want to be a soccer player? You want to be this? You want to be that? Release all that, follow me, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. What are you doing? 
This was the exact thing that Peter and John and the disciples were confronted with. And you have an opportunity. Do not think that age is what makes you a man. I'm going to turn 21 and therefore I'm a man. Or I'm going to turn 25 and therefore I'm a man. Or your status and your finances. I have a lot of money, now I'm a man. I have a lot of notoriety, people know who I am, people like me, they respect me, therefore I'm a man. Wrong. Paul describes for us in 1 Corinthians 16 what masculinity is. And we're going to go to that in just a moment. But I had two really interesting experiences re recently that I thought I'd bring you in with. I was flying to Michigan a few weeks ago, and there was a lady sitting next to me. I was sitting in the middle seat. There was a lady sitting next to me. I was reading my Bible, and when I pulled out my Bible, she kind of, I could kind of notice that she got a little bit awkward about it. Um, I don't know if you've ever been on a flight and you've noticed someone do something because you did something. And she kind of got a little bit antsy. Um, and so over the next 45 minutes to an hour, I'm sitting there reading my Bible. I'm writing some notes. And I see her take out this book um, that was about feminism. Now, if you don't know what feminism is, that's, that's not the point of tonight's message. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but when she was reading it, I saw that she started to take notes. And I'm not one of those people that looks at other people's stuff and is like staring at it. But I just couldn't help myself. I wanted to see what she was writing. And she was writing all these things. And one of the things she was writing about was toxic masculinity. You guys ever heard this term? That, that men are toxically masculine. That your, your biology, the way you're built, your desire to lead. How many of you have ever played a video game? It's a stupid question. Of course, you all have. <laughs> video games are a cheap substitute for what's really on the inside of you, a warrior. A man of courage. Why do we like playing Call of Duty? Why do we like playing these games? Because it's a small picture of what we really want to be. We want to be a soldier. We want to do the stuff. We want to we be radical. We want to be courageous. You guys are going to play video games after this. You're going to literally play Smash Brothers, which is literally just about violently beating each other up. It's a video game character, right? <laughs> There's a picture there, and, and as I was, you know, seeing, you know, this, what this lady was writing, I thought how much of an uphill battle you have as a young man to overcome not just the things internally that are going on in the inside of you, your fleshly desires, the things that make you want to look at pornography or enter into that deep anger maybe that you have in, in your heart and avoid what Jesus really calls us to, enter into passivity. I'll, I'll become a man later in life. Some of you have probably said that. I'll take Jesus seriously when I'm 25. That's what I did in high school. I want to do all these things. And then when I'm 25 and I have kids, then I'll start going to church. Then I'll take Jesus seriously. I highlight those two stories, the story with Jesus calling his disciples and, and this woman I was sitting next to you to, um, to, to put into your mind that you can make a decision tonight that could radically revolutionize your life and the next 40 years. Uh, think about, I, I really really believe that you could make a decision to enter in, to say yes to the actions of manhood, to decide to be a man. You, you ever even thought about this? What's the difference between a boy and a man? Most of us would say biology. Not. 
It's a decision to enter into it. Most cultures around the world, we don't have this because we're in the West and we, we are smarter in the West. Um, but almost every culture has some sort of ritual or party or something they do to bring the sons of the community into manhood. They do something. And so for you guys tonight, make the decision. I'm serious. I don't care if you're 12 in here. Imagine Jesus pointing you out and said, I'm making you a fisher of men. You want to follow? Can you imagine being a young Jewish boy waking up, going out to fish with your dad, and then that rabbi shows up and says, leave your, dad, my dad's right here. No, leave your dad. Leave him. Follow me. Um, Second story, there's a lady about toxic masculinity. We'll we'll touch more on that briefly, but... um, I was preaching in a prison uh, maybe a month ago. It was a prison right on the border of Tijuana and San Diego. It was, it was in America. And most of the people in the prison were men. Uh, I think all of them, actually. And most of the people that we were ministering to were uh, ha- had life sentences. So, we're, so they weren't, like, in there for shoplifting, if you're catching my drift. They're in there for stuff much worse. Um, and I preached, I preached the gospel, and a man came up to me. Now, now, my name's Derek, as Jake said, and I live in Huntington Beach, which is about 45 minutes with no traffic from here. And, and, a, and a guy came up to me, he's five years older than me, he comes up to me, and he goes, he's got tears in his eyes, hey man, my name's Derek, and I'm from Huntington Beach. And there's no way that you could show up in this prison right now and it not be a sign from God to me. That, that he's got his finger pointed at me right now. Um, so he responded, and, and we began talking. I wasn't allowed to ask what he had done, but he just decided to share with me. He, he had involved himself at your age in a, in a gang, and I think by 19, he had killed another gang's leader, and he was found out for this, and was put in prison for life. And I asked him, I said, why, why did you end up in that scenario, in that setting? He said, well, I think it's because I, I didn't have a good relationship with my dad. And although he didn't know it, what he said is statistically the most true statement for why men of our generation are the way they are is because we don't have a proper representation of masculinity. We don't know what it is. If I told you to be a man, what would you say? Well, I think Andrew Tate's a man. Or is it, is it being what my dad does? He just kind of comes home, he sits on the couch, he watches TV. Is that what manhood is? We don't know what it is, so it's hard for us to even say yes to it. Not, not only am I calling you tonight to say yes, but I'm going to make it very specific what you're saying yes to. Before, before I go into the verses, your decision to enter into manhood will affect your wife and your future kids, potentially your community, potentially your city, potentially your nation. I have no clue. It's not a small, small decision. It's not one. Even if all that ever happens to you is you become the most amazing 
husband who does one of the most clear commands that the Bible could ever give. Love your wife like Christ loves the church. Now, you probably aren't thinking about your wife right now. Um, you're just trying to get a girl to look at you first. She's like, please. You're like, you're like Jake, why weren't there ladies in, in here for when he was benching 225? You're going to have to bring that up with Jake later. Um, probably not thinking about how important this is. You're probably not thinking about your future kids. But I'm telling you, it's time to start. It really is. Uh, Derek, that's 10 years away, so. <laughs> um, you, people will become doctors, and before they can have that PhD before their name, they'll do 10 years of training before they, don't, don't you want a doctor who's had the training before he takes a scalpel and decides to cut open your body and do something on your heart? Right? He's like, oh, I decided to be a doctor today, so here's a scalpel. Come here, buddy. <laughs> no. You, right now, God is going to take you, and he's going to start to train you. Before David was king, he was a shepherd in a no, nameless village, essentially. On the back hills, guess what he was doing? He was killing lions and bears. Can you imagine going to school tomorrow and be like, I killed a lion. I killed a bear. God was using these, these little things in David's life, being a shepherd, taking out lions and bears to prepare him to be this warrior king, to be this most masculine man. So, so your decision tonight is not small. If you have your Bible, you, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 16, 13. I think the verse is going to be on the screen. <clears throat> Paul says, by the way, Paul is, uh, let me tell you, this is awesome. Um, I cannot say this is for sure true, but we do have the early church testimony about what Paul looked like. Now, if you've ever seen, like, church art, it's always very grand, and people are painted with muscles, and they're tall, and they have beards, and you've seen those photos, right? Church history the earliest writing we had about what Paul looked like states that he was bald, that he had a hooked nose, looked like a witch, apparently. Um, he was short, and he was bow-legged, meaning, meaning he couldn't walk properly. He had something wrong with his knees. Um, now, whether that's true or not, the point is this. The way you look does not determine if you're masculine or not. I uh, have muscles because I lift heavy objects. That doesn't make me a man. I'm going to actually talk about how your physical side of your body uh, plays into your masculinity. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But, but think about what Paul did. In Romans chapter 16, 15, sorry, it's, uh, he says to the Roman church, I have fully fulfilled my ministry. Fully preach the gospel all the way from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Does anybody know where Illyricum is? It's modern day southern Croatia. So from Jerusalem where Israel is to southern Europe. You guys look at a map. And, and look at how much land. He didn't have trains. He didn't have buses. He didn't have airplanes. 
He didn't have Instagram. Hey, come out to my event tomorrow in Ephesus. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to be speaking. We're going to have this amazing conference speaker here. Come. He didn't have any of that. He fully fulfilled his ministry. And he actually says to the, to the Romans, I'm going to come to you so that you can help me on my way. I'm going to Spain. So Spain, Paul literally wanted to cover from the Middle East all the way to Western Europe. He goes even crazier when he's endorsing his own ministry to the Corinthian church. He talks about his sufferings. Now, we don't talk about suffering a whole lot in the church anymore, but, but it's a part of being a man. Because as a man, you are the pr protector, you're the defender, you're the one who stands in the way of the vulnerable and the weak behind you. Your wife, your children. Your church community, your society that you're in, you stand in the way and, and when arrows are flying, i.e. hitting you, um, uh, suffering is involved in some way, shape, or form. Paul's sufferings, he says this, I was in danger in the country and I was in danger on the rivers and I was in danger in the ocean and I was in danger in the city and I was in danger by wild animals. And I was endangered by robbers. And I was endangered by Jews. And I was endangered by the Gentiles. And I was endangered by false teachers and false prophets in the church. Okay, let's go through this for a second. Is there any other location than cities, oceans, rivers, and country? Is there any other people on the planet than Jews, Gentiles, and false teachers in the church? And robbers, thank you. Can't forget them. Uh, and animals, wild animals. It, it talks about it in, Ma in Acts chapter 28, you know, a viper that bit him, sticking his hand right there. Um, if a man that is bow-legged, bald, has a hooked nose, doesn't have an Instagram, didn't have airplanes, fully had a, had a ministry that, that flipped the world upside down, he walks into Ephesus, and this is the nickname Paul got. Um, the, the ones who are flipping the world upside down have come here also. You're going to have a gravestone one day, and it's going to have two dates on it. It's going to have the day you were born, and it's going to have the day you die. And then there's a dash in between. And the dash in between is far more significant than you could possibly imagine. And for you as a, as a man... I want you to be inspired. But don't read the Bible and, and not put yourself in the shoes. Don't, don't, don't sit on the sidelines and go, wow, that's so great. That's such an ancient story. Put yourself in the shoes and go, is that the type of man I want to be? A man who, who wants, wants to have some sort of ministry that gets fulfilled throughout his whole life? Or, or do you just want to be the person that goes, I like going to church on Sundays and I hope Jake does a good job in his preaching. And I hope Levi really does the work for God. No, no, no. You were formed in your mother's womb, like Jake said, as a man. And as a man, you have a very specific calling. Paul gives you some indicators on what that is right here. Be watchful. Notice how these are all actions. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong and let all that you do be done in love. Be watchful. Um, this, is, 
the, the word, to, to imagine yourself on a post of a city. You're up at the top of a, a post and you're looking out to see if enemies are about to be on the horizon and storm your city. This is the type of man who stays up all night on guard. My son is not walking with the Lord. I got to stay up all night today. I got to be watchful for his soul. I gotta pray. There's a there's an intensity with what Paul is saying here. It's a it's a watchfulness. It's not it's not a sleepiness. I don't sleep. I don't count sleep as a greater value than me being awake and alert. How many of you? Um, I'm gonna expose myself here. Uh, I'm not gonna say the question I was gonna say. I'm just gonna tell you about me. Uh, when I was in high school, I may or may not have run from the police a couple times not confirming or denying these things. But if this happened, let me tell you about what I felt inside my body. I felt an adrenaline rush that was so intense that if this did happen, I may have been able to leap over fences and sprint with almost superhuman-like sprinting abilities like the Flash. There, there is a, have any of you ever had adrenaline pumping through your body where you're just like, and, you're, and there's an intensity. Maybe you've played a, a sport and, you felt, and you've had that experience before. And you're, you're just so zoned in. This is what the Greek word there is. You're, you're zoned in as a man. Nothing can catch your attention. You're not going to go to sleep. Video games aren't more exciting than being watchful as a man. It's be alert. Stand firm. It's another action. Um, how many of you play football? We played football this weekend. I fractured my foot. Um, and I dislocated my finger twice. My knuckle down here was up back here, and I just popped it back into place twice. I'm not telling you that because that I'm cool, but it was kind of cool, actually. <laughs> Caleb, can, Caleb can testify to this. It actually happened. Um, and I played defensive line. And what's the point of, of offensive defensive line in football? One is trying to overcome, and one is trying to stand for, firm, stay in their place. So many men in our generation, do not stand firm. You're confronted in your high school. Are you a Christian? Oh, well, you know, maybe, kind of. I go to church every once in a while. Jesus is cool. He's my homeboy. But rather, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Jesus is everything to me. And you get made fun of. People won't stand firm because they get made fun of or they're going to lose friends or whatever. Paul described, you got to stand firm in what? In the faith. This is the Greek word pisteo or pistis. It, it literally means to throw yourself on an idea or a person, an entity. It, it means to give yourself over. Um, I want you to imagine yourself out in the Pacific Ocean out there. You're rowing a boat. You're trying to go fishing for tuna. Um, while you're fishing for tuna, a storm comes. And the boat capsizes. And you're in the water. You forgot your life vest. You're going to drown. You're in this storm. Out of nowhere, a rock appears. What saves you? Um, saying that the rock saves you does not save you. Um, looking at the rock and going, that rock would save me. I believe that rock saves. That's not what faith is. What saves you? Go to the rock. Get on the rock. Stand firm in your confidence, young man. Stand firm. 
throw yourself on the rock that is Jesus Christ. One of the most, the most masculine thing you can do is throw your life on Jesus. Remember when I was 18 and I really became a true believer? Um, I had felt like I had been lied to my whole life when I started to read the Bible. The, the church I grew up in was amazing, but I just, I just never got raw Jesus. And then I read the book, and I saw these men who were so masculine, like Paul. They embodied manhood, and they would say things like, Jesus is everything to me. Or, or they had this unreal devotion to Jesus. Do you have an unreal devotion to Jesus? Is your loyalty to Jesus when you walk into your high school as a young man? Or is it to, man, I hope no one brings up Jesus to me. I don't want to be that one kid that gets made fun of. Um, act like men, Paul goes on to say. And I, I want to highlight this for most of the, the rest of the time. Act like men. Um, 2 Samuel 10, 12 has an awesome story. Joab and Abishai, the two of David's mighty men, and they're in battle. They're going to go off to war, and they're outmanned. And Joab, this is the same wording that Joab uses, is the same wording Paul does. It's almost identical. Joab says to Abishai, as they're undermanned, outgunned, the whole nine yards, he yells to Abishai, Abishai, let us play the man. Let us be heroes. I said it already. How many of you would like to be a hero? How many of you would like to have maybe a biography written about you one day? I would honestly think most of us, when we look at history and we see these great men of old and you learn about them in class, you go, huh, it would be cool to do something like that. As a Christian, every man has an opportunity to be a hero. Every man. It's, it's scriptural. It's, it's the most biblical thing. Joab says to Abishai, let us play the man. Be of good courage. Let, let us play the man for our cities, the people of our God, and let the Lord do what seems good in his eyes. It's the exact same language Paul uses right here. Act like men, that three-letter word, man, manhood. What is it? Um, first and foremost, the Bible clearly describes manhood. Um, as responsibility. It starts with responsibility. You have to be responsible for your own actions, for other people's actions, for need that you see around you. I, I was in Paris, and I got off the highway as I was driving, and there was a long stretch of grass. On this long stretch of grass, I started to see people. It was the middle of winter. It was late at night. I started to see these people. And they had built fires, and there were these army tents on this long stretch of grass. And as I looked closer, there were all these rats and mice running around their feet. I'm not kidding. So many rats. I got to the end, to this roundabout, and there were probably 1,500 young men, almost exclusively young men, sitting on this sidewalk just out in the open. I got back to the place I was staying. I was shocked. Who were these? I asked my hosts. Who, who, who were those people? He said, oh, those are refugees. Um, we've got them all over the place, all over Paris. I laid in my bed at night next to my wife, and I just had my eyes open, staring at the ceiling, saying, God, I am so small. And there are so many needs around me. Look at Paris, God. Refugees, 
thousands of people who've never heard the gospel. Who knows what other needs there are around here? And then I thought about Berlin, and I thought about London, and I thought about Los Angeles. And I, I couldn't go to sleep because of all the need around me. The need could be met by you in this room, by the men of our generation, if we take responsibility for things that we did not create. Um, you are living in a day with a bunch of issues that you did not create. Will you take responsibility for them? Even as a 13-year-old, even as a 12-year-old, even as an 18-year-old, will you take responsibility and not push it to someone else? If you push responsibility in your own life now to someone else, that's someone else's job. It's not mine. I just want to go about my business, play video games, go to school, make money. It's someone else's responsibility. If you do that, trust me, you will do that with your wife. It's your fault, wife, that you have these problems. Kids, I can't deal with the kids right now. It will all snowball in your life if you don't take responsibility now. Um, this is so clearly seen in the book of Genesis. Do you remember when Adam falls? God comes in the garden, and very fascinating thing happens. God confronts the man, not the woman first. Interesting. The serpent confronted who first? The woman. The serpent goes to Eve. Where was Adam? You guys ever thought that? You ever read? Um, where was he? Why wasn't he right by her side? Why wasn't he there going, no, the Lord has said this. Why wasn't he watchful? You see how it connects? He wasn't watching. He wasn't there. He wasn't standing firm. He allowed Eve, which is his responsibility. This is your helpmate, Adam. This is the person you're to take care of, Adam. He wasn't there. He was somewhere else. Interesting. We can only speculate. Um, but it is interesting. God confronts Adam and says what? What have you done? And what is Adam's response? This, this is your foreparent. Adam represents us in the Bible. Adam represents man. He's your representative in that garden. What does he say back to God? It was the woman that you gave me. He shirked responsibility. So it's not my fault, God. It was the woman. And as a matter of fact, God, you gave me her. It's her fault and it's your fault. That is the opposite of masculinity right there. That's the opposite. And for you to understand this as a man, it might seem what I'm saying right now is like, okay, I get that makes sense for you as a 29-year-old, but I'm 13. I don't have a whole lot of responsibilities. Um, you do, first and foremost. Um, let me be very practical here. When your mom tells you to clean the dishes, what is the response? <sighs> Some of you are like, yes, ma'am, right now, I will. Um, a lot of times, it's, I want to do that. Um, it is something so small and so simple that it slips past us in the most simple things we don't take responsibility for. What happens when it comes to our actions with sexual purity? How we relate to women. How we relate to our friends when no one's watching. How we relate when an older figure, a pastor, a dad isn't around. What do we do? Do we still have that responsible sense of, I'm a man before God before I am a woman or my friends or anyone else, that sense of responsibility? 
Um, you know, I've really beat for, for a message for, for young men for about two years now. The, the reason being two years ago, my, my father-in-law passed away, and he, he was my mentor. He was, we were so close. We, we, were, we were very, very, very close friends. And it's very weird to be close friends with your father-in-law. Um, he did treat me like he was a mafia boss at first, by the way. He definitely, I thought I might end up in the Pacific Ocean at some point um, in a bag. Uh, <laughs> but he let me marry his daughter, and we became very close. And he taught me a lot. And one of the things that we didn't get to do was talk about or confront this issue of masculinity in our day. And he, he passed away because of his disease and family. We're all together around the deathbed. This is an intense situation that I'm describing for you. We're all around the bed and everybody's just sobbing, you know. We're all saying the most meaningful things we could possibly say. And in my mind, I said to the Lord, I said, um, please give me a message uh, that the young men of our generation would buy into and enter into biblical manhood and masculinity. Um, I, I was just crying. I, I wanted it so bad. I left, it's about 3 a.m. after, you know, he passed away, and I went and got pizza for our family, and the only place that was open was on Santa Monica Boulevard, um, where the, the section that would be considered Rainbow Road, and I, I got out of my car, and there were these all, you know, all these people in different sexual lifestyles, and um, I felt the Lord whisper to my heart, you want to say yes to the men of your ge generation, will you say yes to men like this? Will you say yes to the young men, the old men, the man who is completely broken, the man who's been in church every day of his life? He came out of the womb and the pastor smacked his bottom. Your first word was Jesus. Um, will you say yes to every man, not just to the men that are like you, not just to the men that, that want to embody exact character traits that you embody. But will you say yes? Will you want to craft a message that is truly biblical masculinity? Because it doesn't always have to do with weights, Derek. It doesn't always have to. It has to do with responsibility. In that moment, that was, that was my opportunity from Jesus to take responsibility. Let me say another thing on this point. When I was 18 and I became a Christian, I did not think that I would ever be a preacher. As a matter of fact, in high school, I took a public speaking class, and I got a C. <laughs> Who gets a C in public speaking? You, you don't have to do anything. You just have to get up and read your essay, essentially. How do you get a C in public speaking? I had no idea that I would be a preacher. I had no idea... That God would allow me two years ago, a year and a half ago, to stand on a stage in front of 30,000 people and preach. No idea. Uh, you have no idea what you saying yes to responsibility that what God will bring in your life will lead you to. It might not be a stage, um, but it might be um, ending the orphan crisis in America. It might be something to do with human trafficking. Anybody see Sound of Freedom? Like, I'm going to go be a Navy SEAL, and I'm going to, why not? I don't know where God's going to call you. All I know is it's not um, go to church once a week or twice if we're special uh, and uh, let someone else play the hero. 
you have to take responsibility. Uh, another thing that Jake and I highlighted as we were talking about tonight is the young men of this generation lack something so key to masculinity. It's called self-control. I want to read you this Bible verse because it's, it's fascinating. I'm going to read this one first. Galatians 5, 22 through 23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Self-control. It's a Greek word. It means to control yourself. It's, it's not a passive term like, I don't do things and therefore I'm self-control. It's actually a positive term. It's actually the statement where I have these out-of-control desires in my heart and I've learned how to master them. They don't master me, I've mastered them. It's the same language that Paul uses in Romans 8. It's one of my favorite verses. Um, if you live by the, the flesh, you shall die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. You know what this word put to death the deeds of the flesh is? It's make war on your flesh by the Spirit. You have permission from God to make war on those ungodly desires in your heart. You like playing video games, don't you? Well, here's a real world warlike situation that you get to enter in. You get to make war on the things in your heart that aren't God's desires for you. Um, 1 Corinthians 9, 26 through 27. I don't run aimlessly. How many of you play sports in here? Just raise your hand. I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beat. I love that Paul uses a sports analogy to, to get us to understand self-control. If you have a game on Saturday, what do you not do on Friday night? You can play video games. But you don't go out and party. You don't stay up super late. You don't destroy your body. You control yourself so that you can what? Perform. To the, to the best of your ability so that you can execute as an athlete. I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body. Keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Um, the Greek is way more strong. You guys know the Bible wasn't written in English, right? It was written in Greek. The Greek words used here, but I discipline my body, literally means I give my body a black eye. I bruise my own body. Now, he's not talking about literally bruising his body. He's talking about the, the depths that he goes to to control his desires. It's as if I were fighting with myself and punching myself in the face. Uh, I, I discipline my body and keep it under control. The English isn't strong enough here. It's the Greek word to enslave. I enslave my body. I, I master it. I overcome it. As a young man, you have desires on the inside of you that seem so strong. Let me tell you this from firsthand experience. God can give you power to learn self-mastery and, and learn to control those desires of your heart. It is so necessary. Let me give you an example. You're going to get married in the future. I've already said this. Um, that one woman is going to expect of you that she is the only woman that you ever 
get to have relations with, with in an intimate way. And, and she's expecting of you, and you know what that requires of you? That you control yourself now. That you master yourself now. This is so important for masculinity. The last thing before we end, and it's probably the most important because it applies everything we've already said tonight. Um, if you're going to be responsible, as Paul has said, uh, as Genesis 3 says, then that means that you have to do certain things, take certain action. The opposite of responsibility is passivity. Um, passivity is when a human being moves like a sloth to do the thing that they know that they should do. It's, it's you're out here, it's like James 4.17. Those who know what to do and don't do it sin. That's passivity. And I've ran into so many young men in our generation who are stuck in passivity. Who are stuck in indecision. I don't know what to do. And so we sit and do nothing. Did you guys know that there's 3.1 billion people on the planet that have never heard the gospel and have no opportunity to hear the gospel? Um, just a little side note here. Can, I, can you imagine if I told you that there were 3.1 billion people on the planet who didn't have oxygen or didn't have water? What would you do? <laughs> Be like, hey, we should raise some money for this. We should do something. That's just one need right there. Most people, when they hear a need, 3.1 billion people that have never heard the gospel before, they go, oh, that's a bummer. Um, that's the person next to me's job pastor's job it's a missionary's job out there um, passivity will be the most surefire way not taking action not being watchful not standing firm in the faith not acting like a man not being strong not not entering into love as the bible says that right there will probably be the thing that stifles you your whole life if you if you don't enter into action, if you stay in passivity. And I want to give you guys a chance to respond. I'm, I'm going to pray here, and Jake, Jake's going to um, facilitate a response. But you can make this decision tonight to enter into to manhood. It's not Andrew Tate. He's the most Googled man in your generation. You know that, right? Andrew Tate. If you've never heard him before, don't look him up. No point. Um, He's the most Googled man. There's all sorts of representations of masculinity out there. The Bible gives you the best type. It rebukes the worst type of masculinity and presents to you the best type of masculinity. And so tonight, can you, can you guys stand as we end message? I'm going to hand it back to you in a second, Jake. How many of you are below 13 in here? Did you bench press? Shout out to you. Um, how many of you are above 13 but below 16? Raise your hand. How many are, are, of you are above 16? Um, all of you, not depending on your age, just close your eyes for a second. I want you to imagine this. Jesus walking in this room right now. Just imagine it. Jesus walking in this room right now, pointing at you as a young man saying, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Holy Spirit, I ask tonight that we would make this decision as men.
not dependent on our age. None of you are disqualified in here from biblical masculinity. None of you are disqualified from manhood. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that every man in this room would make the decision tonight, step forward and enter in to this lifestyle that Jesus calls us to. In Jesus' name.